Page 94, the Private Eye podcast. Hello and welcome back to Page 94. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and this is the last episode in the series, I'm afraid. Today we are going to be looking at the story of Deep Cut, a story of deaths in army barracks stretching back 20 years. The Deep Cut base started drawing attention due to a series of deaths among the young recruits at the base, all aged between 17 and 20. Four recruits died of gunshot wounds between 1995 and 2002. Privates Sean Benton, Gerald James, Jeff Gray and James Collinson. The initial investigation of their deaths by various police forces was starkly inadequate, as we'll hear. Evidence was lost or destroyed and significant question marks remain. The reason that this is in the news now is that there has finally been a public inquest into just one of the deaths, that of Cheryl James. Uh, Private James died of a single gunshot wound while on guard duty on her own one morning in November 1995. The initial inquest into her death lasted for barely an hour and it returned an open verdict. As would later become clear, the truth was far more complicated. The investigations since then have revealed a toxic culture of bullying, abuse and chaos at the very heart of the army. Heather Mills has been writing about Deep Cut and the search for the truth for many years. Deep Cut is a huge sprawling army base down in Surrey. The reason it's in the news now is that 20 years after there were two deaths at Deep Cut in 1995, we finally had the first public hearing um, providing an insight into what actually went on. There's been lots of internal reviews and police inquiries and there's been a government review, but that was all held behind closed doors. So it's been 20 years since the first of these deaths. Why has it taken so long for any public investigation to take place? Deep Cut has a long history. So we had the first death in July 1995. It was immediately treated as a suicide by the army and it wasn't properly investigated. And even when Cheryl James was found in similar circumstances, dead from shotgun wound, again, it was treated as suicide. We've learned a lot of detail about why the police now decided that. They turned up, they stayed there for about 40 minutes, they had a cursory look at the scene, they chatted to the coroner's office and the military, decided it was a suicide, and they left it. Um, we now know they should never have done that. Any sudden death like that should have been properly forensically investigated by the police. Now, sorry, police have apologised for that. But what it meant was that all the evidence relating to her death was pretty well lost, destroyed or not taken. You know, the scene wasn't preserved. So even getting an inquest 20 years late, it's full of holes. You know, there's crucial bits of evidence that that will never come to light. So after the discovery of Private James's body, uh, Surrey police are called to the scene. Yes. And they arrive, but they very quickly hand over responsibility for the investigation to the Royal Military Police. Yes. And that seems to be the crucial moment in the whole, almost of the last 20 years, is the decision not to investigate right then. Yes. Not to carry out a forensic investigation. Even the post-mortem investigation, the autopsy, was not a forensic autopsy. So questions, you know, that ended up being very crucial, which is whether or not Cheryl James had gunshot residue on her face. That wasn't tested. And in fact, the the coroner who carried out the autopsy then didn't even make a note or look at it. But actually, that was turned out to be pivotal to deciding whether or not Cheryl James could have killed herself. 
there was an expert for the family, Professor Pounder. And this, is, go- a, and this is at this particular inquest that we're talking yes, about. So right. the question of uh, whether Private James had gunshot residue on her face is relevant because if uh, she had been committing suicide, is the idea that she would have had this residue or that she would? It, it, it is that the weapon would have had been either a contact wound, you know, right up against her face or very near to her face, and it would have made it possible for her to kill herself. Yeah. Had that residue not been there, then it would indicate a distant shot and she could not have done it. And there are a few photos that were taken initially, yeah. but these obviously are not only 20 years old, I gather they're quite grainy and they're not of high enough quality to assess whether this is gunshot residue. One of the pathologists thought he could distinguish and he decided that actually it wasn't all of the marks were not gunshot residue and they could be accounted for by bruising and damage but the others were pretty sure it it was residue and there was some evidence from some witnesses at the time that they saw what they thought was powder dust or or gunshot residue but again pretty key stuff and that would normally and should normally have been tested immediately then we wouldn't have these questions now is this failure to investigate simply just a huge mistake by the police is it negligence i i think it was negligent of them not to do it particularly under the circumstances of having another violent death there shortly before had they this is the surrey police tested weapons had they done a forensic examination of her body testing whether that really was gunshot residue on her face and on her hands you know we may not have been needing any kind of inquest 20 years down the line to find out what happened shortly before cheryl james died she was on guard duty alone with her gun this was a situation that should have never arisen in the first place as heather explains so the national army rules were that women should never have been on sole guard duty on their own Nobody at Deep Cut seemed to be aware of that and nobody at Deep Cut seemed to think it might pose a risk to any of the soldiers, any of the young recruits for being on guard duty on their own with weapons. I mean, you have to sort of bear in mind that they they hadn't had weapons training for very long. Private James had been in the army for about six months yes, at this time. yes. And this was at Deep Cut where uh, another recruit, a Private Benton, had died within the last six months. Yes. What his death showed was um, the dangers of having young recruits with their weapons and the risks that obviously posed. And as Cheryl James's inquest heard, it should have made them review the rules and regulations and indeed you know, their own measures to ensure that they were all being followed. And as this judge found, that the risks were su- to young trainees were suitably identified. They, they didn't even consider it. So having left Private James on her own on guard duty in the early morning of the 27th of November, a few people were seen to have visited her, uh, possibly a boyfriend at the time, and then in the morning her body was discovered. Now, obviously we don't know what happened in between her last being seen on guard duty and the discovery of her body, which is the whole point of this inquest, obviously. Were people questioned at the time, witnesses, in the initial inquest into her death? A handful of witness statements were taken. But what became abundantly clear in this inquest is that lots of people passed through that guard gate that morning. Lots of people saw Cheryl. And lots of people noticed at various stages that she wasn't at her guard duty. Um, The trouble with 
this evidence 20 years down the line is no matter how good people's memories were about what time they may have passed through the gate and how she was at any particular time, none of those timings could be reconciled. You know, it would have been, and and it's inexplicable now, why no efforts were made to trace who would have been the last person to actually speak to Cheryl before she died. Um, You also had very conflicting um, accounts of how she was at the gate. Uh, The vast majority suggested she was her usual bubbly self. There might have been one or two that said she was quiet, but put it down to doing duty early in the morning, having been partying the night before. It was completely unclear. Now, her boyfriends, and she she actually had two boyfriends, and like lots of teenagers was in a bit of a dilemma about which one she wanted to stay with or whatever, they were talked to, but they were never, ever treated as suspects. And indeed, as this inquest has made clear, there's no reason to regard them as suspects now. There's no evidence against them at all. But the point is, at the time of her death, they probably should have been treated as suspects and ruled out. And and, and from their point of view, again, had Surrey Police done this investigation properly, they wouldn't have had this hanging over them either. You know, they had to be represented in court at the inquest. So again, it comes back to that failure 20 years ago. And that failure seems even more extraordinary because it was the second violent death at that base within five months. So obviously the coroner at the current inquest, Brian Barker, was operating with much less evidence than he would have liked to reach the conclusions uh, that he did. But he did nonetheless reach a conclusion. He decided that even though, and, and he made references throughout, that there were limitations. He described it as holes in the jigsaw that could never be filled. He still did come to the solid conclusion that Cheryl James committed suicide, beyond reasonable doubt. The family were deeply shocked. I think they would have been prepared to accept the possibility of a suicide verdict, but not that it was suicide beyond reasonable doubt. And that is because in those vital minutes between when she was either last seen on the gate and when she was found, no one actually knows what really happens. What we do know is that one of the last people to see her alive, if not the last person to see her alive, and certainly the last person to have any meaningful conversation with Cheryl, was one of her boyfriends, Paul Wilkinson. Now, he'd gone down to the gate illicitly to spend some time with her. And he gave several different accounts about his time down on the gate and when he left and what actually happened. And those minutes are going to haunt the family forever. The family do not in any way suspect or think that he was involved in her death. But those vital minutes will always haunt them. And this is another of the things that has come to light, is that obviously the inquest for Cheryl James has really been designed only to look at... Her death. Her death. Yes, now, not only were there three other recruits who yes. died at Deep Cut, yes. um, is there a prospect of uh, inquests for them re-examining yes. their deaths? Yes, I think almost certainly. In fact, I, steps are underway to, to put that in motion now. So I, I, I think this has paved the way. I, it would be very hard to see that anyone could resist having these inquests. But even these inquests have not examined, have not had as their purview violence, bullying in the army, abuse, this kind of thing. Yes. These have not the been systematically looked into. The no, wider culture. No, and in fact, 
because it's an inquest and, and you know the judge made the point by law he's not he's not carrying out a public inquiry so by law his inquest is you know inevitably restricted so he ruled out of scope any allegations of bullying and sexual assault that was not relevant to Cheryl and or did not take place at deep cut because we know there's an allegation that that she did face some harassment and assault potentially at another base now there have been other attempts to expose the failings at deep cut and how four people came to die at the base in 2002 after two further deaths surrey police reinvestigated the matter but another police force who examined surrey's work devon and cornwall found that surrey may have failed to investigate a possible murder quite as fully as it might pressure started to grow for a full public inquiry the government kept resisting and in the end it decided to come out with the Blake review. Now the trouble with that was it was just a review. And what does that mean? Does it that means mean- that he largely reviewed the existing evidence. If you take on board that at the current inquest, even when Surrey police reinvestigated, you know, there were still all those shortcomings and there was still an element of bias perhaps that, you know, this was still potentially a suicide. Now, sorry, please deny this emphatically, I have to stress, but that Devon and Cornwall police decided there was an, when they reviewed it, decided there was an element. Blake did choose to interview all the senior officers, but he didn't interview any of the recruits, um, including, you know, all of those that Surrey Police had uncovered reporting all these serious crimes. One very strong thing that did come out of the, the Blake review was that this place was out of control. There was, amazingly it may seem, sometimes only one trainer or non-commissioned officer in charge of up to 200 recruits. And these recruits were Somebody described it as kind of like a sausage factory. Deep Cut was being held, was a sort of holding place while they were waiting to go on to take up other training. And there was nothing for them to do. They were bored. They were unsupervised. They were in the hands of bullying NCOs who themselves weren't trained very well. And so as the coroner found in this case, you know, not surprisingly, they turned to drink and sex and entertaining themselves. One person described Deep Cut at its best as a freshers week um, with guns, with firearms. And and that is kind of how it was. Even in the Blake review, he said, it was a, a memorable quote from him that said, deep cut at night was an intimidating place. It's hard to see that within an army setting. But deep cut was kind of set up to fail in a way. It was the first time they'd thrown young, you know, raw recruits, 16, 17 year olds, in with adults. It was the first time women had been added into the mix. They were normally all trained separately. There was huge understaffing. It was a disaster waiting to happen. How did things get this bad? We don't have the answer to that. And, and you know, one of the faults with um, the Blake review was that he uncovered all this, but he found absolutely no one to blame. You know, he, it had kind of happened and it was appalling and he made some very good recommendations about how it should improve. Not all of them carried out, I hasten to add. But actually, no one was held held to account. And, you know, we know it came about largely because of underfunding, but that's not really enough when it gets so bad, when there were so many warnings and nothing nothing was done. And even after, you know, people were self-harming, dying from gunshot wounds, you know, still nobody took control and did anything effective about it. And the fact there wasn't, 
huge institutional change after the first death of the Private Benton, let alone the second of Private James. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. As we now know, at Purbright next door, Purbright's another barracks. And just after Cheryl's death, exactly the same horrible allegations started coming to light about sexual assault, rape, all that kind of stuff. And you had the then defence minister saying, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to wipe out bullies and we're going to wipe out this kind of, we won't tolerate this and, you know, our, our young recruits won't go through all of this. And here we are, 20 years down the line, we learn, again, at Cheryl James's inquest, that the army are only now getting to grips with the problem. So they include things like um, trainees, young trainees and recruits not doing guard duty, not having access to weapons apart from on the firing range. They include staff supervision. There was no welfare at all at Deep Cut. I mean, pretty well no welfare. I mean, just, you know, even though these are teenagers, it just didn't cross their sort of minds. They now have welfare officers. These training establishments are now inspected by Ofsted. So you have somebody independent going in. But more interestingly, they are only now getting to grips with bullying and sexual harassment, it would appear. So despite all these cases, and actually there's been deep cut, but there's been a drip drip of stories of beastings, bullyings, abuse, and worse, um, this is across the army, as across the to army, deep cut. across the army, and abroad. You had the dreadful case of Anne Marie Element recently, who alleged she was raped, which was dismissed, and then she was bullied horribly for two years afterwards, until she committed suicide. You had that very recently, and the army is now only dealing with sexual harassment and abuse, and trying to change, you know, its bullying and abusive and sexualized culture. And is there a prospect of an inquiry happening which is going to look at these things in public? I think the army will will be arguing that they're dealing with it and they're trying to get to grips with it. I think the argument for a full public inquiry into deep cut alone, where these things would be explored, is becoming much, much stronger. And one would hope it would be a wide-ranging public inquiry with powers to subpoena witnesses, compel them to give evidence, all of those things. And that then would be able to go into all these wider aspects of widespread bullying, assault. Lawyers for the family believed that wider culture, it wasn't just the drink and it wasn't just the sex. There was a wider culture of bullying that was also part of the culture to, into which Cheryl James had been thrown. Um, but, the, you know, the judge ruled that out. Yeah, it sounds like um, Lord of the Flies transposed to Surrey. You know? <laughs> yes. It really does. And I suppose this inquest has kicked off the process which will lead to that changing yes i mean i mean arguably you know it's been going a long time the all four families not not just cheryl james's family but the parents of the others have fought tirelessly to try and get to the truth of what happened heather mills and since we recorded that interview the attorney general has given consent for the family of private sean benton the first of the recruits to die at the deep cut barracks to apply to the high court for a fresh inquest into the circumstances surrounding his death there is a special report on deep cut in the latest private eye that's issue 1420 if you are listening in the distant future 
Now, this has been the last episode of Series 3, so thank you for listening, and thanks especially to Matt Hill, our producer for this series. If you see him on the street, please give him large cash sums. If you need something to fill the void in your life, there is a delightful magazine released fortnightly to keep you educated, informed, and entertained. It's called Heat. No, it's called Private Eye. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray. Goodbye. <laughs>